Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect. Committed to change. Andre and Lauren, welcome to the Ocean Protect podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, stoked. As we should put a little bit of backstory. So, Lauren, I reached out to you via social media, but you've actually listened to our show before. Is that right? Yes, I actually listened to your very first podcast way back in what, March 2019. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Wow. Back when I was doing my undergrad, so way back when. And never again? <laughs> no, no, no. I was, I, was, I was listening for quite a few episodes and then I fell off podcasts overall. So it wasn't a you guys personally, it was podcasts as a thing. Now I'm back. So <laughs> Now you're back. You're, you're on the show and that means you've got to listen to more of them. So no, thanks, <laughs> thanks for coming on. It's always nice to, listen, to hear people listening to our shows. Brad and I just think it's our mums, so... but look straight off the bat so i've just recently watched the film we're here to talk about the envoy film and obviously you guys have both been heavily involved in this film but look straight off the bat i think one word to describe this film for me is just stunning so visually cinematography is spectacular like right from the get-go when you're telling the story about sharks and just i guess their beauty which is obviously often a word not used to describe sharks but just magnificent beings, you know, in this underwater environment. And then obviously the cinematography around just the footage you show getting caught in these drum lines and, and nets, et cetera, which I know, Lauren, you've had a, a fairly sort of probably gruesome task in editing, as I'm sure you have, Andre. But look, straight off the bat, well yeah, done on an amazing film. Really impressive. Thank you. It was a hard project to pull together. It was not something that we were able to really get a good amount of government funding for or any any amount of government funding, actually, because they're not going to fund you to expose their dirty work. So, yeah, it was a a big task. It really came together through so many collaborators. Like a lot of that gorgeous, stunning cinematography of sharks just doing their thing is from some of the world's best underwater cinematographers. And they're just we're really trying to show their absolute perfection in their environment. And I think those shots do that. And then a lot of the really nasty shots of what's happening just 500 metres from our beaches, some of that's ours, but a lot of that's also contributed by people like Sea Shepherd who have been out there documenting this for seven years and more. So, yeah, it really came together through such a huge amount of people that are passionate about this cause and willing to help. And yeah, I hope we've struck that balance pretty well of the beauty, but also what the horrible stuff that's happening here in Australia and yeah, hopefully it inspires some change. 
Yeah, and I guess the other key thing from my mind in terms of the the stunning nature of this film is the science. So I guess this is where I probably geek out a little bit, but the facts that you sort of threw into this, I guess, narrative, and obviously as a documentary you're telling a story, I was personally, and I'm an environmental engineer, I've been in this game for a while and I'm in the ocean all the time, but I was really stunned uh, with some of the, the, the research and science that you presented. I'm pissed about it, mate. I, I, I actually don't know how governments have, have allowed this to continue. I mean, Queensland versus New South Wales, Queensland's doing a hell of a lot worse, but still, I, I can't believe it's actually going on. And Yeah, I, I'm shocked, really, really shocked about the whole thing. Filmmaking-wise, that's obviously the intent, but it's so hard to execute, you know what I mean? Like packaging up this hundreds of hours of research and, and hundreds of hours of interviews and footage, packaging it up into something that will hold people's attention and end with them yeah, pissed. That's the idea and it ain't easy. And the science thing really came into it. I got that idea in terms of how we always put scientific paper citations for, for statements that are made. A lot of docos just say things and, you know, they can get nitpicked for it. Whereas whereas I got that idea from Game Changers, which is the doco about, you know, athletes eating plant-based diets or general people eating plant-based diets. And there's like that, that citation down at the bottom of the screen, I got that idea from there. And I think it adds weight because otherwise, yeah, we knew the moment this comes out, politicians are going to be trying to pick it to pieces. So when you have that in your head that you're kind of like, oh, they're going to come at this hard, like I better have my I's dotted and my T's crossed, that that what drove a lot of that science-based, really detailed, factual accuracy in there. And you're right. And like the, the science is unequivocal, but the whole way through this movie, I'm watching this, recognizing I want to talk to you guys about it. And I was looking at a way of trying to be a devil's advocate around this issue, like trying to find rhyme or reason as to why we should have these shark nets or shark culls. And I walked away going, I got nothing. I got absolutely nothing. The only, the only one I heard, it was, a, I think it was a, a minister for agriculture and fisheries. And he basically said, Something along the lines of since 1962, there's one, there's been one fatality, and that says it all to me. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And that one's that one's easy to pick apart as well. That one's so easy to pick apart as well too, because if you look at the actual, not just fatalities, if you look at shark bite incidents that have occurred at mm. protected, so-called protected beaches, I've got to remember that air quote. Not everyone's going to see my air quotes that I'm doing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, these so-called protected beaches. There's no less shark bites at those. There are less fatalities. He's quite right. But by claiming that's because of his program, that's the Minister of Fisheries that said that, by claiming that's because of him is taking the credit from who actually stopped those becoming fatalities. And that's first responders and lifeguards. Oh, you didn't, you didn't yeah. stop any shark bites, so you haven't done your job. You're claiming the credit from the people that stopped more of those turning into fatalities. It's disgusting. That one really winds me up. And rule number one in science is, Correlation is not causation. the same as causation. And for all this scientific research to unequivocally say these shark nets are a waste of time, in fact, actually might be making beaches less safe, to rely on that throwaway, rubbishy science line to justify the killing of these sharks and this sort of false sense of security and the narrative to keep them in place, I was just staggered. This is the media world we live in. I'll let Lauren talk about this a little bit more, but the problem is we live in a world of 10-second sound grabs for news, right? So that minister can throw away that rubbish line or that rubbish line has now evolved because that's actually two fatalities now since that, since that film was finished. That's two fatalities now, yeah, not one. Yeah. So his line has had to evolve. Again, it's now a 10-second sound grab and the news don't have enough time to then go, hang on, 
is that grab they're giving us actually true and actually holding them to account? They run one side with a 10-second sound grab. They run another side with a 10-second sound grab. And then the reporter kind of summarizes the story. The news cycle doesn't hold them to account for that 10 seconds of nonsense, which is just not true. Lauren, this is something you've been dealing with quite a bit lately. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. But it's not even that it's true. It's technically true, but it's not the whole picture. And they're trying to angle. And, Brad, you probably have some experiences with the science. It's just because it can be technically true doesn't mean that it's the full picture of what's happening or presents the actual story. They're trying to skew the actual data into what fits their narrative rather than telling the whole data to tell its own story. Yeah, we, we get it all the time, even in the stormwater industry, mm. you know, people testing their devices to a, you know, a certain way which suits their devices. And technically, the things do work, but no, we're, we're well across it. Hey, just quickly though, Tang, backstory. Lauren, how did you get here? And we love a good backstory. We'll start with you, Lauren. Give us your one-on-one. Uh, how long is a piece of string? Okay. Um, <laughs> I have to go way back. I had a very unconventional upbringing. So I actually come from a defense family. So I was born in Hong Kong. And then as a kid, I uh, grew up in Hawaii for a couple of years. And that's where I fell in love with the oceans because mm. who wouldn't growing up in Oahu? And then we went from Oahu to Canberra, which is probably the world's worst downgrade uh, in history. <laughs> How do your parents sell that? <laughs> so, yeah, the one city on this whole entire continent that doesn't have a coastline, that's where I spent the rest of my childhood. <laughs> But yeah, stayed in Canberra um, and I actually, I was quite bullied in school and high school. So I actually didn't really talk a lot about my passion for the environment or the oceans until I got out of high school. But in my final two years of high school, I actually ended up representing Australia in dragon boating. So I ended up traveling oh, wow. the world um, in a water sport from you know China to Europe to Canada. And I got to see firsthand paddling in canals and out in harbors, plastic pollution in those harbors, which is what got me really interested in plastic pollution. I think you can see how this is leading on to me getting onto your podcast, uh, listening to your (laughs) podcast. But then when I went to, uh, started law school as an undergrad, I wanted to do environmental law. And I realized pretty quickly that that's kind of useless if you don't know the science behind the actual problems that are happening. So I dropped out of law school, went to Melbourne University and did my undergrad in science, majored in marine biology. And towards the end of my degree, I came across podcasts such as yours and was listening to how different people were talking about the science behind marine biology, different perspectives, comparing that to what I was being taught in uni. So I didn't hear anything about stormwater when we were learning about plastic pollution in my undergrad, which shocked me. And I realized pretty quickly that the communication around these issues is severely lacking behind the science that's being researched, what's being done in the field, the policy and the laws that are meant to protect our environment. So I really wanted to kind of get involved in that communication and kind of started my own path of advocacy work. And within four months of me graduating from university degree, I'd done a TED talk. I got flown to the Thailand by the UN to give a speech at one of their conferences. I was flown to Bali to work with NGOs on plastic pollution, flown to Boston with another NGO, the sustainability leader. So things kind of ramped up. And I realized once you learn how to communicate the right issues in the right way and change how you talk to different audiences, people listen. And people really want to be part of that. And then COVID happened. I was living in Perth at the time in a new master's and picked the wrong week to be visiting my family and got locked out of WA for all of last year and ended up rearranging everything. And that's when I came across Envoy from I was following Madison Stewart on Instagram. And she did a post about this. And I saw this and I went, what is this? We started researching a little bit more and then I was like, I need to be a part of this and emailed Andre directly. And I was like, hi, this is me. Let me in. 
um, and the rest is history, pretty much. Wow! Wow! Oh, I mean, that's that's a lot of life just there. You've done a lot of <laughs> yeah. things, um, and we're like we're lucky to have you on our show, which is which is awesome. As a side note, sorry, before Andre starts, and this is how I came across Lauren's involvement in Envoy, which which led to us reaching out, was you posted something about how you're having to, you know, trawl through all this footage of these gruesome, you know, sharks and other species being caught in these nets and drum lines. I was like, oh, there's a story to tell. I didn't know you were actually even involved in this film, and, and that's how it all came about. It was amazing. Yeah. So my involvement comes in post the creation of Envoy. So I'm I'm coordinating for like Envoy. What do we do from here now that this is coming out to the public? Right, oh, cool. right. So yes, yeah, so that involves trolling through all the literally hundreds of um you know FOI requests of the images of the footage of them gutting sharks on the boats oh, and tossing them overboard yeah. to the strangulation of different marine animals. All those photos, I've got to figure out what we do with them, how we kind of go forward from here. There's so much that didn't make the cut of the film yeah. that we don't want it to just sit on a hard drive and go to waste. It can still be used in campaigning and stuff like that. And it's a tough one too because you've got to show the whole story, as we said, to start off with, but it's gruesome stuff, you know. And, <laughs> and what I found about the film is it's so majestic and so beautiful on one hand and on the other side it's, oh, I can't watch this. That's the storytelling that you guys have obviously tried to do and do it really well. But it is hard. When you talk about, say, for instance, plastic pollution, if you're, you're so negative on it, people sort of switch off. So going to your point, Lauren, you're finding that way to get people engaged is, is critical. So, you know, congratulations on what you have done thus far. Andre, so what about you, mate? What, you know, what's your one-on-one? Sure, okay. So as a kid growing up, always liked sharks. Like I wouldn't say I was crazy into the ocean or the environment or, or sharks or anything like that, but I always thought sharks were cool. I had a, a blob, like inflatable shark in the yeah. pool. <laughs> I used to, you know, enjoy early days when my parents took me to an aquarium. I loved that, you know, that tube you go in and they swim above you. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. I liked shark movies. Like I think I, n- I never believed that that was real. I knew it was for show, but I thought that was cool, you know. Went to the beach a lot, most school holidays at either the Sunshine Coast or the Gold Coast, which is two of the main areas where these, this program that I later in life learned about operates. So yeah, had, had a sort of a casual interest. And then after finishing school, went to uni, did a business degree. After that, started my own business. And I kind of spent 10 years really focused on that, growing a business, starting a business, scaling a business. And then I did my scuba dive cert, like my paddy open water. I've done multiple extra qualifications since then, but I did my paddy. And that's when kind of, to me, I think that was the pivotal moment for me where things started to change. And I saw this underwater world for the incredible, just complete other universe that it is. I saw it for what it was. And then you you naturally get, at least for me, naturally get more engaged with what's going on in that environment. You start following, you know, the Sea Shepherds and all the organizations that work in this space. And that in my mid to late 20s is what I found out what the shark control program are and what shark nets are. And this is someone embarrassingly, like I said, used to holiday on the Gold Coast, the Sunshine Coast, every school holidays. You have this vague notion that there's shark nets out there and they keep you safe. You don't actually know what they are or how that works or or what the methods are. So it took, yeah, until my late 20s to figure out what this actually was. And from there, my life really became a bit of a spiral where I got more and more interested in that and less and less interest in everything else in terms of, you know, business and things that I, I had held important or had given my focus to. Yeah, that kind of went in opposite directions and eventually, yeah, decided to make a film on it. And here we are two years later and it's been out in cinemas and about to come out in streaming. So hopefully 
hopefully it has an impact and can actually do something because that's why we made it. You know, I'm not this I'm not this kind of arty film guy who's like, oh, I want to make like my vision and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. I knew what I wanted it to look like, but at the end of the day, it was like this thing needs to piss people off and get people yeah. agitated to fight against this program. That's the purpose of it. And look, I think you've given inspiration to everyone who's ever thought that they might make their own film. No disrespect, you, you sort of haven't really previously had much background in filmmaking. I think this is your first feature-length documentary. I know you've made a couple of shorter ones, but it's incredible. And you talk about the amount of people involved. And it has to be says, it has to be said, you've got some big hitters in this movie. You've got Eric Barner, number one, as a narrative. You've got Lane Beachley, Tom Carroll, uh, uh, Shark Girl Madison, uh, Porter Gelder, you know, all these guys. But fundamentally, it's needed a, a, probably an individual to drive this. And in the absence of funding from the government, someone to fund it. And it basically has been you leading this charge, which I find completely inspirational. But having said that, logistically, it's quite difficult for you. That's a huge drain on your energy. But also as a director, you want to probably include everything in the, in the, in the movie and to, to try and do a director's cut of this film would actually be very difficult as well. I think the best way to sum all that up is ignorance is bliss. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. <laughs> I had no clue, no comprehension for what I was getting myself in for. You know what I mean? Anyone who was had an idea or was sane would have gone, that's far too big a job. Like, it can't happen. <laughs> but, but, but this idiot. <laughs> what's, that, um, what's that saying? It's the ones who are crazy enough to think they can change the world that often do. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I just had no clue what I was taking on or what it would cost or the amount of time that would go into it or any of that. <laughs> but, like, once I'd started, I can't, like, give up on stuff. Like once I've started something, I'm going to see it through. So the best thing I ever did was shoot the first interview and the first frame of this. Because from there, like I was all in. And then all the roadblocks that came up and the stumbling points that came up and the screw ups and the like, you name it, it was like, it didn't really matter because like I was doing it. So, but yeah, I'm glad I didn't know how hard it was going to be when I started. I'll tell you that. Yeah, ignorance is bliss. And that's often the way in any sort of business or venture if you knew what you knew then, you, you never would have done it. So, uh, and look, how long ago did, was that process? So, so when did you start really ripping into this? Two years, basically, from now. Appro- yeah, approximately two years it's been, which is relatively short for a doco. It was because we were able to lean on the archives of these organizations to show the horrible stuff that was going on. Yeah, it would have been a longer process had we not had such valuable contribution from people that have already been out there shooting this stuff. So, yeah, that really sped it up. From there, we were able to knock over interviews pretty quickly, get the beautiful cinematography pretty quickly and easily. 
it was a two-year process helped by the archives of many, many years prior from people that have been in the space. And then I think really what was surprising to me timeline-wise is what, what's consuming is the, is the distribution process. So I would have thought film's done, you shop it around a bit, it's out in a few months. Like, no, like we've been, yeah, it's slow. It's slow and painful and difficult. Why is it not easy? It just, everything just takes forever. And there's so many middlemen in this industry. So we have what's called a sales agent. So someone to sell the film for us and they take a cut. They then go and do, deal with distributors, which are like another middleman essentially. So all of a sudden you've got two middlemen and they go try find deals in their territory and they take a cut. And then they're dealing with big, cumbersome, slow moving organizations like your big entertainment platforms and, and networks and whatever. They don't move fast. They're a big corporate beast. So you've kind of just got barrier in, in front of barrier in front of barrier. So yeah, I would make a film again in a heartbeat over distributing a film again. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're slow until they decide to give you one day notice that they're suddenly releasing it, which is what happened with our US and UK release. Yeah. Oh, wow. This whole timeline plan to promote the film, to get it really oh, wow. happening on social media. And then suddenly they changed the release date on us out of the blue. And suddenly our whole two weeks of planning became two days. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And we should point out, like, there are a few different ways you can watch this movie. Probably the best is just to jump on the Envoy website. So, envoyfilm.com.au. I know there's a few plans afoot around bigger streaming services potentially within Australia in particular, and I'm not sure if you can announce anything in relation to that just yet. Or so there's US and UK. It's on Discovery Plus right now, which is Discovery's right. streaming platform, awesome. uh, and for Australia, it is coming to a very large streaming platform on October 13. But we can't say where just yet. We're not allowed to. It's a platform with quite a few million subscribers, which is what we needed for this message and for this film is to get it in front of the average Joe because all of us talking about it and you're listening to talking about it is great and it's a really, really good base, but the pressure against these programs is going to need to be overwhelming. So we need the average Joe to have the reaction that you've all had watching it and this platform should give us that. So had to be a bit of patience, which is not one of my strengths, but uh, we got there. We got there. But the, the timing is actually pretty good, to be honest, isn't it? Like we've just literally August 16th at the moment, we'll release this podcast literally on Monday. But literally just last weekend on the Gold Coast, we've had a, a humpback whale caught in these shark nets, which has caused a lot of sort of media attention, a lot of people questioning. Obviously, you've had this big campaign, I think it was Saturday, two days ago, I think it was led by Sea Shepherd in Australia and a couple other groups around just getting these nets out of these ocean environment. I suspect Lauren was probably involved in that as well, you know. From her hub in Canberra, I'm guessing, Lauren, because you're, you're obviously in lockdown yourself as well, so you can't be there sort of on the beaches and with the petitions, et cetera, but you're obviously heavily involved. Yeah, that turnaround from the whale entanglement, it was go, go, go. I work, woke up yeah. at 7 a.m. on the Wednesday and we got our first tip off and then suddenly it just blew up. And something we had to have, we we're trying to find, making sure that people knew what was happening. We had images coming up and videos that we wanted to get out and make sure that there were, people could see what was happening. It was just four straight days of just madness. And then suddenly we had all this momentum and we had all these plans to be building, you know, protesting campaigns further into the future and getting it really perfect. And suddenly we had this momentum and Andre and everyone, we just went, we have to use this. And so it was hit the ground running. And I think from Friday, I was at this desk at 8am. I did not leave it until about 8pm, just planning, coordinating, calling people, calling police to make sure we were legally allowed to do this kind of protest as a mass event, coordinating how we were going to keep people safe, just coordinating between all the different organizations as well, social media tiles, everything. It was just absolute madness, but it was worth it. 
100% and building from that momentum to keep it going because it was almost cosmic kind of the timing of this entanglement because we just come out in cinemas. We were kind of in a little bit of a lull while we we're waiting for streaming to start and something that's just a perfect example of why we need to get these nets out because there's so many different perspectives from this issue. We have the issue regarding public safety, which I think is paramount, which these nets do not work. have been proven not to work. have been proven to actually bring in sharks closer to shorelines as well as the marine conservation issue, which is that they are horrible for all these marine animals and kill them indiscriminately, protected species, species that are meant to be protected under Australian law, but are given a free pass to be on target lists of whether or not they're sharks or if they're humpback whales and these kind of entanglements. It really encapsulated that. And the fact that this entanglement in particular was the longest entanglement that we've seen so far and still wasn't even arguably successful because the whale still has, when we had obtained footage yesterday, the whale is still entangled to a certain extent with buoys and chains and ropes. And it's just out there in the wild right now and its future is so uncertain because of how long it was spent. I think that's the important thing as well to mention is not only we were trying to coordinate all the stuff that Lauren had just mentioned, but we're also trying to make sure the media report on this properly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the sense that fisheries who set the nets and assist with the rescue and SeaWorld who assist with the rescue, they are going to want to put a positive spin on it. They're going to go, well, it was released. It's all fine. Whereas... We wanted to make sure that that was reported correctly and not brushed under the carpet and not like, oh, yeah, yeah, we got most of the net off the way, like it's fine. We wanted to make sure that there was accountability there. And it's like, yeah, that was hard. That was hard because they're, they're the team out there and they put out their press release and their spin on it. And then we're trying to go, mm, is that really right though? Yeah. Why'd you use those words? That's kind of weird, you know. And I think it's worth pointing out or Andre explaining to our listeners, you know, what the film's about because we've all had a good chat. Oh, good point. (laughs) Elevator pitch and, and explain what this wonderful documentary is about. Sure. So, look, it's a science and fact-based look at the Queensland Shark Control Program and the New South Wales Bather Protection Program. New South Wales has run since 1937. Queensland has run since 1962. And while they both sound quite cool and pretty, Bather Protection Program sounds pretty cool. Shark Control Program, oh, cool. Yeah, okay. You're keeping sharks away from us. You're controlling sharks. What they both are is a shark culling program. They are lethal programs to catch, entangle, and kill sharks. Now, that's probably the elevator pitch from there. You get into all the reasons that doesn't work, all the other marine life that are entangled and killed as as bycatch. You can go in a hundred different directions with it, which obviously we do in our 90-minute documentary. But yeah, essentially it's an expose fact and science-based look at an 83, now 84-year shark cull that happens 500 metres from your most popular beach. How many shark nets currently are in Queensland and New South Wales? So the nets is 51 in New South Wales. They're only in the water for half the year. They are smart enough to remove their nets during whale migration season. Queensland are not that smart. They have 24 nets, but Queensland also have a device called a drumline, which is a baited hook designed to attract and hook sharks. They have 383 of those. They are also an entanglement risk for wildlife, not as much as as a net would be, but they are still an entanglement risk because they're a buoy on the surface with an anchor down to the ground and whales do get entangled in, in drum lines as well as other animals. So, yeah, 383 plus 24 nets and in New South Wales is 51. Essentially, it's a fishing program. 
there's no other way to put it. You can label it what you want. It's a fishing program and the idea is to catch and kill sharks to reduce their populations. Therefore, it's a it's a culling program. They're not a barrier. They don't keep sharks away from anyone. They don't deter sharks. It's a, literally a fishing program, which is why they're run by the fisheries department in each state. Makes sense. And we, and we should clarify just what is a shark net because I think there's a real misconception yeah. around what, is a, what does a net physically look like? Shark net is comically small. I've only just come up with this yeah. analogy lately, but the best way I to describe it at protecting a beach is it's using a table tennis net to play tennis with. <laughs> it is comically, comically <laughs> small. These things are in New South Wales, they're 150 metres long. In Queensland, they're 183 metres long. They do not go to the bottom in Queensland and they do not go to the top in New South Wales. So in New South Wales, they're bottom set. In Queensland, they're surface set. Both states only cover half the water column. And they, yeah, they're comically small. Like you look at Bondi, I don't know the exact distance across, say, yeah. Bondi Beach, but you know, it's probably best part of a kilometre across the bay-ish. And the net's 150 metres long. It's a joke. Like it is, it is comical and you really can't grasp it. Like I think we do a pretty good job showing it in the film, but you really can't grasp it until you're out there on a boat floating next to it and you look at it and you're like, you've got to be kidding me. And, and then you jump in, you have a bit of a swim around, you have a bit of a look and you swim under it on one breath and you're like, and it's not even hard to do. Like you, you fin, you know, you kick, you fin down twice, three times and you bottom of the net. Like it's a joke. It's a joke. Yeah, if a guy with a snorkel can swim under or around, certainly a, a shark can get around. I, I think you did that actually really well in the film, just visually, just sort of that's exact. Because can I tell you, I, I grew up in Noosa. There was always talk of shark nets, and I actually I didn't know what they even looked like. There was a, sort of this idea that it's probably some token nothing attempt to provide some level of false sense of security, but I, I didn't actually know what they physically looked like. A lot like. of people think they're a barrier. You know, I mean, people think yeah. they do to the bottom and people think they do span the full width of the beach and people do think they come back into shore and they're some sort of enclosure and they're just not. They're like comically, comically small fishing nets that just hope to entangle and kill a shark that might be in the area. The even more comical side of it is 40% of shark catch is on the inside of the net. I mean, they're going back out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Staggering. And again, just to show how ridiculous they are. So that's a shark can easily swim under around it, right? This Sunday, when we had our protest, just as the protest was wrap, wrapping up at Coolangatta Beach, a whale came by to say, G'day, join the protest, we like to think. He was flapping about, you know, it was breaching inside the shark net. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. Episodes are released weekly and the next episode will feature part two of this chat. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.